When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Cousins. She goes downfield and wide open is Laquan Treadwell for the touchdown. Everybody sucked up. Cousins went down. And 58 yards later, he's got Treadwell for the score. Everybody did what? <laughs> All right, let's start, start the show. Uh, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing ESPN's Courtney Cronin, and we will have a parade of ESPN personalities joining the show today. Courtney, we're going to have Matt Bowen, who's coming up at 2.30, and then Jenna Lane, she covers the Tampa Bay Bucks, and we can talk about their new threads as well as Tom nice. Brady. Yes, I like them. I, no, I, I, I'm glad that they made that decision because previously – the numbers looked like it was an XFL team mixed with an AAF team mixed yeah. with an indoor football league team. And Jameis Winston deserved that, but Tom Brady does not. No, I agree with you. I think they, they, they look nice. I mean, it was time to do something like this anyways because that pewter and – what is it? It's pewter and scarlet? Is it red? I don't, I don't even know. I think I it mean, is scarlet. It's, it's a weird combination to begin with, but you can – bring back either the creamsicles, which I hope they continue to do from time to time. I would love to see that. Um, or you switch it up. And I think that this is a good this is a good change of pace. And it's nice because you're ushering in a brand new era in Tampa Bay. And it's going to be fun. And so you kind of need to go all out with all the bells and whistles, which includes uniforms. Now, you know, I don't know. Are you a helmet guy? Because I know that there's certain people who are uniform gurus. And I know that we've talked about this. I remember when Manny used to produce this show, um, he would come up with all these combination of Vikings uniforms and be able to pick out the exact mm-hmm. game that he remembers watching it. <laughs> yeah, I was not like a uniform aficionado. Like I, I have a bunch of jerseys and, and I mean, I like what I like, but I'm not one of these like, oh, you can't wear these color pants with this color jersey. But I do like helmets. I, I like helmets. I think that if I was a recruit playing college football, send me to Oregon. I don't care who the coach is. I just want all the helmets <laughs> and I want a new helmet every single week. What is your thought on that in the helmets that you saw from that um the screen, the screenshot of the players uh, in modeling the uniforms. Yeah, I don't need many different helmets. I, I tend to like the franchises who have stuck with one helmet for a long time, and I never needed the New England Patriots to change theirs or the Buffalo Bills to change theirs, or and and so forth. 
but I think at least with their logo that they have now, really making that the emphasis of the whole jersey and highlighting what is on the helmet is smart for the Bucks because if you're comparing their just team logo with the flag, with the skull and bones, I mean, it's one of the best logos that there is, and that should be what catches everybody's eye and not the whatever those jerseys were supposed to be in the past. So, yeah, yeah I, I like what they've done by just throwing it back to the John Gruden era, going that way with Tom Brady. I would have preferred the creamsicle, but I also probably would have just asked Tom Brady, like, what would you like to play in? Okay, we'll just make that it. These kind of look like, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm looking at the the screenshot of whoever number 54, modeling number 54. It looks like a mixture if you were to combine, if you were to combine, I know the colors are different. A Patriot style uniform with the Houston Texans—that's what that kind of reminds me of. With the way that the letters are, you know, have the outline to them and the way they're positioned and the font. Um, it's like the Patriots and the Texans had a love child, and this is what it resulted in. These nice-looking jerseys. I mean, yeah. not, no no, slight, no slight there on the love child. I'm just like, you know, they got together and they made jersey. They can do whatever they want in the privacy of their own homes. Uh, all right, well, let's get to what we wanted to talk about, and then we'll discuss the jerseys a little further with uh, Jenna Lane at 3.30. I asked you to make a list, and then I made a list, and they're two different ones, and uh, they're each going to take up a segment here. So the list that you were assigned, Courtney, is your five Vikings draft mistakes to avoid. And so we're going to look at what the past. I really kind of left this up to you for, for how yep. you wanted to qualify it. So actually tell me how you qualified avoiding mistakes of the past. Well, I looked at what they have done in the past that even they've admitted were mistakes. Uh, some things that I would personally not do. Things that always look better in hindsight, essentially. Um, and, and then I looked at the challenges that they're going to have to face after yesterday's memo came out from the league office saying that everybody has to be in their own homes. Nobody can congregate together. Everybody's drafting on their own. And there's cameras on the general manager and on the head coach and trying to figure out how the heck are we going to do this? Um, and you've seen tweets today. I know Diana Rossini said that she's spoken with several coaches who are very concerned about how this is going to work. Jason Reed from ESPN's Undefeated had, had kind of echoed the same thing, that there are some major concerns about, you know, think about it. This draft could cost people their jobs because it's going to, number one, be an immense challenge just with all of the moving parts. Number two when you don't have somebody, your right-hand man, right next to you, it's very different when it's over a phone call. Like, what if you have an issue? What if the call drops? What if there's technology? Like, to not have that support system and have to have the call be all on you, um, I think that there are going to be some people who get exposed in that way. There are a lot of jobs on the line. For a team like Minnesota that has so many picks it has to hit on, um, this couldn't be. This is the worst case scenario to be able to have to have a draft be forced into having a draft uh, in the format that it's going to be in. So that's kind of all encompassing, and that's how I made my list of five. Well, 
these teams seem to be unaware. And I'm sure that you would not want to highlight this if you were, um, say, in one of these positions, the truth about the NFL draft. But I'll just read you the headline from a 538 article from a couple of years ago. It's hard to tell how good NFL teams are at the draft, is the headline. And then you can figure out the rest from there. That no one has been proven to actually, over a long period of time, be good at the NFL draft. These people had their scouts out for months on end watching every college game. They've watched every snap of these guys. They got the NFL combine. They have these players sending them videos of themselves running the 40 and doing the drills. They've been able to get on Skype or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever and interview whatever dang player they want. All this is, in my mind, is these people setting it up for excuses to tell their owners that this isn't about anybody with a brain who's watched the NFL draft knows that some years you get it right, some years you don't. And there's a lot of luck to it, a lot of randomness to it. Sometimes injuries ruin careers. <clears throat> Teddy Bridgewater, who's a great pick but then the injury ruins it for him Uh, there's so much luck involved with this and every time we ever talk to mike zimmer about it he says oh yeah when you draft them you have no idea if they're going to work out or not (laughs) so so they do all those studies remember yes but they do do all those studies and all the studies find the higher you draft the better you do well well shocking i mean sorry you guys didn't have a couple of extra weeks of flying guys in and then having them con you into believing that they don't actually have character issues But anybody who comes out of this draft and doesn't do well and fails next year with these players or in the future and claims it was because of coronavirus is a complete fraud. And I wouldn't believe anything they said after that, because that's totally ignoring all of the studies and information that have ever been done on this. If you want to be good at the draft, A, be good at finding guys later on in the draft, because most of the first couple of rounds are pretty well laid out there and everybody has the same information, and then be good at developing them, like Anthony Harris over a number of years. Spot the guys when you're actually there in training camp who are going to succeed and who are going to fail, and don't cut the good players. And the Vikings, I think a major part of their success on defense has not been just that they drafted well because they spent so many high draft picks on defensive players, but it's been finding guys who were undrafted, like Tom Johnson or Anthony Harris, who they spotted early in camp. Oh, this guy's actually good at football when you had him in there already and then developed him into a good player. So I don't need any excuses about how you know the, the lack of ability to fly some guy in and, and talk to him in person was the reason that you botched the draft. Well, not for the draftable guys, but I do think, and this is one of my points that I won't give away right now, um, undrafted free agency, college free agency is going to take a massive, massive hit because of this. Because you do need those measurables because they run statistics on them and they don't have them. Like, that determines who they go after, how the later rounds pan out. The guys that are either going to be priority free agents or late round draft picks. That's going to alter what this draft looks like because they just do not have enough information on the guys that they didn't get to see at Pro Days and that they didn't have a ton of film on for this year. Like I'm not talking about the majority that's out there. Like Who cares about your first-round draft picks in that sense? You've seen them for three years now, minimum. Um, they're fine. And you know, beyond that, though, when you get down way into day three and at the end of day three when that undrafted free agent class is formed and you have about a hundred grand to decide how you're going to spend it and who you're going to spend it on that's where you're going to see the biggest hit um so 
I agree with you. There is enough of information out there, but we will still hear excuses. But there are parts of this draft that are going to be immensely affected by what didn't happen throughout the month of March and in April. Okay, counterpoint on the undrafted free agents. Let me pull up all the people that they signed. Undrafted free agents from 2017. Let's talk about them. Uh, Jeff Bidette, um, good XFL career maybe? Did he play in the XFL? He did play in the XFL. Uh, Mike Boone, he made the team. Uh, Curtis Cothran, Garrett Dooley, uh, I don't remember anyone named Armani Foreman, Chris Gonzalez, Holton Hill has worked out for them, but everybody knew about Holton Hill, Tyler Hops, Hercules Mata'afa, Trayvon Mathis, Trey Matthews, some fullback I can't pronounce, Peter Pujols, Corey Robertson. There's a good example. A guy who they paid a bunch of money to sign as an undrafted free agent was awful. Uh, Rock Thomas, who got himself arrested, Jake Wynicki, and Jonathan Wynn. So, look, I know I know what the makeup of that class looks like. All I'm saying they though all is They all look like this. Yes, which is why I'm going to And here's where they This play. is this is my number 3. I'm literally you're giving away my number 3 right now. Can I just get to my list? Okay, yeah, you can get to your list. But Do can I, I just music can, or anything can, for can, this? Can I just add this in though? Okay. Here's here's where the undrafted players played. What teams they played for? Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Penn State, Wisconsin, Texas, San Jose State, Texas, Nebraska, Washington State, Toledo, Auburn, Auburn. I know. I, mostly the, big schools. I've heard of I these under, schools. I they know, had scouts there, right? They have you, zero excuses, and I don't want to hear you them would, ever. No, but you would think so. But if you know that these guys are not going to be higher up on your list in terms of priority and where you're drafting them, you're not going to give them much of a look. I mean, yes, there's probably film out there, but the amount of time that you would have spent dissecting is probably much slimmer because you would have used pro days to, to figure that out. I mean, I'm not completely discrediting what you're saying, but I do think for a certain part of the 2020 draft class and non-draftees and college free agents and tryout players, et cetera, et cetera, some of those guys are going to be affected by the fact that this team, that these teams have not been able to go through the normal process. I'm of the belief that when we look at the draft and when we look at what happened and all the contingency plans that have had to come into play, there are those people who are like, oh, this is great. Now we know that we can do more things remotely. Maybe it means less staff. Maybe it means that we don't need to spend as much on travel. Maybe it means that we don't need to go to pro days. B.S. They are going to go back to normal next year, the first chance that they get, because A, the, the league is a creature of its own habit and a product of its own environment, so of course they're going to want to do things the way that they've been doing it, but it makes their jobs easier. Like, being able to see these guys, take your own measurements for what it's worth, I think that's the silly part. It's like, why do you need 32 people measuring my wingspan? <laughs> like, it's the same unless I decide to, you know, I stretched this morning after I went on my run. I wonder if I would have, like, put my arms out if Can it would have been. before? I mean, I've got shit. after? Yeah. I stretched after. It's oh. not my fault. I've been well. Actually, it's one hundred percent my fault. I've been mm. slacking on that. I said I wanted to hear no excuses. So I know. I know. I'm, am I just like uh, every GM that you're imagining after the draft, being so, like, oh, look so at all these problems? Nothing you're saying is inaccurate, but every part of it is making me laugh about football. It's like, well, you know, if you can't measure the guy's arms yourself, how are you going to figure out if he's a good football player? And then you ask them, hey, what's the number one factor when you're scouting? It's like, oh, it's the tape. Like, okay, so well, which yes, is it? Of course, which is it? But if, there are certain players who are more affected by that like think about that regional combine that got canceled in miami and the hbcu combine that was coinciding that weekend those guys are you know really in a bad place because of what happened and yes like we talked about with the um 
linebacker from Florida last week, a lot of these guys who are either going to be late-round draft picks or priority free agents or just trying to get a tryout with a team, they're trying to do those workouts right now to be able to send to people. But how do you know that a 40-time on tape is an actual 40 time like you're making an investment in these people i understand i totally you know if you want to buy a car you want to go touch it feel it drive it test it all of it you don't want to just be like yeah i heard this car goes zero to 60 in this and it gets great gas mileage and it feels great like when you're driving it no you want to actually experience it and i totally understand where teams are coming from and the fact that they've been so, what did they actually not miss had out? That on? opportunity, like, like how much have they actually missed out on? What percentage of their draft process is it? Three percent? I mean, it, it's got to be the tiniest percentage. I think what it's really about is making sure you leak as much as possible about how upset everyone is and how hard this is going to be for you. So if you screw it up, that's what you tell your owner. And part of this about going to measure everybody's fingers by yourself and put them through hilarious duck walk drills <laughs> that, you know, at their pro day is so you can go back and tell your owner when the guy isn't good, well, it's got to be him. He must just uh, not have wanted enough or love football because we we had him do all these ridiculous drills. We asked him to hold his eyes open for 43 minutes in a row, and he did it. So we drafted him. I mean, all I of this, all so of this is nonsense. It's nonsense. Uh, but it's, you're, it's, but being it's a exposed. process. It's being exposed as nonsense. Watch but, them play football in college and decide who's the best, and you'll well, still be true. random as hell. That's true. This draft is going to expose for lack of a better term, the fraud general managers and the flawed coaches and the flawed scouting processes that we've seen throughout the NFL. Like, you do have a lot of the same tools that you would have had any year had there been a pandemic that shut everything down or not. But now you're going to have to do a lot of this on your own. And they've been going through that, and they've been having to do things that in their mind are unprecedented, and that's going to weed out the weak. And I know that I constantly harp on the Houston Texans just because I get so irritated at the way Bill O'Brien has handled, um, I don't know, everything. And this is going to be a situation. like That is a prime example of a team that could very easily, and probably will be, exposed as frauds, especially the head coach slash general manager. That man is going to be on his own, in a room with a camera on him, having to make the call on the draft picks for the first time ever. You think that's going to go smoothly? Oh, see, I think there's just as much chance that Bill O'Brien has the best draft in the NFL this year as the Minnesota Vikings or Patriots or anybody else, because that's history. Uh, Think about the Vikings in their 2015 draft and how hysterical it is. They drafted a worse player with the 11th overall pick than the 45th, 88th, and 146th. They drafted before Stephon Diggs, TJ Clemmings, and Michael Pruitt. And you're supposed to tell me these people know what they're doing? Well, they're, they were using sound. I'm sorry, but they were using sound logic for what they needed, what the positional value was, what they were hearing. I'm talking about just like the process. If you want to talk about people who are going to get exposed, think about all the moves that were made by Bill O'Brien himself. Um, and think about what that could potentially translate to in the draft. That would give me a, that would give me a headache if I worked for that team. I think Bill O'Brien has no idea what he's doing, but. His draft odds are fine. I, I, I think his draft odds are the same as everyone else's, which is it all depends on where you're picking and how much luck you get. And if they draft a, a wide receiver, the guy might become great because Deshaun Watson's there, or he might not because it's random as hell. So, well, sure, there's there's a lot of luck that goes into drafting. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's not an exact science, despite anybody who tells you that it is. Um, they work at it. But this year, it's just going to be more difficult. And I'm sorry, the communication thing is huge. 
Think about those draft rooms. It's Yes, the general manager is the one who makes the final call, but who's handling all of the logistics of who's picking up the phone handling trades? Which it's team, not which always team the general the IT man- guy? Well, yes, of who course. Who knew that I mean, that would be the determining I factor? I tweeted that yesterday. <laughs> like Those people deserve hazard pay, and they are going to be the MVPs of this whole thing by making sure it goes off without a hitch or as close to without a hitch as possible. Mm -hmm. But there's so many moving parts. It's not like the Vikings, for example. It's not always Rick Spielman picking up the phone to say, hello, Minnesota Vikings, let let me take your order essentially for a trade. That's going to be tough. Who's doing that? Make sure you have assigned roles so the communication can be as seamless as possible. But then again, it's an NFL team. Um, it's run like the military in a lot of sense where there's a direct chain of command, or at least we think there is, uh, with most teams. But do your job, that motto is going to be more prevalent this year than ever before. So can I get to my list? I've been sitting here like yelling at you no, and you're yelling have, at me uh... and... I just want to talk I, about my list. Okay, can we do your list later? Because this was a good discussion. Fine. So let's do your list at 3 o'clock. Um, and then maybe we'll do my list on Thursday. Because I have a list as well. But I don't think we need it after this. I, I have a name for this now. I'm going to call this mindset of mine uh, draft nihilism. Like, nothing matters. Just pick, if you pick them out of a draft sim, or if you had if you laid out five different players that fit for your team and you had your dog go to whichever bowl had whichever name, and you pick that player, your odds are just as good as if you have 30 people in a draft room all standing on tables and yelling about why you draft this guy or that guy. And if anyone wants to challenge this, just go through your own favorite team, whether it's the Vikings or anybody else, and look at all the players that they missed on that maybe look obvious now that you should have taken, and then all the players that they drafted down the draft board that you went, Wait, you actually drafted Michael Pruitt before Stefan Diggs? And then you're patting yourself on the back for drafting Stefan Diggs? Like, you don't get to do that. That was totally random and lucky. And, uh, I mean, heck, you, you have to develop the players. You have to have a good coaching staff. You have to have a good system. The reason the Vikings are a good team is because Andre Patterson develops the hell out of these players. And sure. some other teams don't. And they deserve credit for that. They deserve credit for drafting players who's... Uh, physical traits match up how they want to play football. You deserve credit for all of that stuff that's worked to be a good team. But whether your guy works out or not, totally random. So I'm calling it draft nihilism, and that's where I'm going to stand with this. And the excuses to ownership from the people who botch it is going to be hysterical. So anyway, that that's that's where I'm at with this. Um, it, because the excuses are already starting, and I don't understand. If they had no college football season, I would be totally on board. I'd say, let's move this thing back or do something different, because how can you tell who are the guys that you need to draft? But you had a whole entire college football season and bowl season and everything else, so there is no excuse for any general manager who botches this. Now, inside the draft room, do you think... I was supporting stretching out the first round over a couple of days... Because partly, if everyone is separated, and like you said, your assistant general manager is at his house, and you're at your house, and what are they doing? Google chatting? I got a phone call from the Bucks. They want this pick. Like You're going to need more time. And that's where I wonder if there will be a last-second change to alter it with all this complaining to give them a little more time to make these draft picks. And I've got the time. I'll be at home. And uh, everyone else will as well. So if they want to stretch this out, I think that that would be a good compromise for everyone who's upset. 
I don't think you need to stretch it out to where the first round is three days long or whatever we were suggesting or milling through last week. But I do think the NFL, by the time this is rolls around in two weeks, six what is it, 16 days and four or five hours from the start of it, um, they've got time to either say, hey, in between picks, we will extend the time to X number of minutes for the first round, for the second round, third round on day two, and then, but that what that's going to leave you to is either a very, very long set of days or possibly having to break up some of the rounds to go, you know, on day four or day five. Like, I would love to see the way it is now. I know the the idea was thrown out of doing each round on a different day. Seven days of this, including the seventh round itself. Yeah, I I don't need that. I will cry if that happens. But um, I think round one, have have it on that Thursday, and then maybe make this a process that goes till Tuesday. Because that day three... Especially when you think about teams like the Vikings, who have so many later round picks, and you know how are trades going to be affected by this? I don't think we're going to see as many as we typically do. Like with the Vikings, you know, trading picks and then getting one of them back and then trading it again, like whatever, whatever. Like it doesn't. It's too many moving parts. Um, and when the time frame that you have is as limited as it is in those later rounds on day three, when it's four through seven, it doesn't make sense. So maybe, maybe you keep it as is. Maybe you do day one. Day two would be round two. Uh, Day three could be the third round and the fourth round. Then, like, you know, or maybe even just do rounds one through three each each on a day. And then that third day that would typically have rounds four, five, six, and seven, maybe do four and five on one day, six and seven on another day. I think you have to space this out because the way it is right now, and we know, about teams missing picks it has happened before and it feels like it is inevitable to happen this year not get a pick in on time because of you know extenuating circumstances i mean the Vi- that happened to the vikings the year that they got kevin williams right yeah they, yeah, they, yeah, right. They, yeah they missed their or they missed their pick and you know there wasn't a pandemic the last time i checked when that happened so um i think they i think the league has to do something i wonder what's in the works right now because so far the league has won Every battle, the GMs in the in front offices didn't want to go to free agency. Well, free agency happened. And GMs everyone survived, and, right? You know, like everyone's yes, okay, true. except well, for the Vikings. Well, no, it's <laughs> funny. Everyone um, else is all right. Well, I mean, there are players. I mean, you, we talked about it last week on the show. The guys that are going to be in the situation if they haven't signed their contracts yet, and a team. You know they've they've agreed to terms, and if a team drafts somebody, they can rescind that offer. I mean, we haven't seen that happen yet, but. If that happens, then we're going to look back and say, yeah, it was a bad idea for the most part, um, you know, with some of the things that happened in free agency. No, the world didn't burn down and didn't stop. They were able to continue on. But the NFL has won, essentially, every argument that's happened here. Now, there's got to be some sort of concession to help teams and try to make this easier on general managers. And I know that I'm talking about something that a lot of people look at you know, kind of with a turned-up nose, being like, I can't believe the NFL's still going on despite all the things that are going on that are a lot more serious. Well, you know, it's business as usual, and you got it. When you decide to go that approach, you have to honor it, um, but you don't need to make it damn near impossible to get this thing done. We already know there's going to be challenges. We don't need to go into how difficult it's going to be, but I do think that the league could concede on a few things 
And at this point, when when we're starving for content, what's the harm in spreading this thing out over a couple days? Yeah, yeah, I think that they could make a last-minute adjustment with that. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, Matt Bowen of ESPN, one of the great X's and O guys out there. Uh, His Twitter is an awesome follow and also a former Buffalo Bill. So um, we'll take a break. He only played for them for like five games, but still, it matters to me. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll come right back. We'll talk with Matt Bowen about the Vikings offseason plan and what's left to do, plus the draft when we return here on Purple Daily. With no live sports inside, Mackie, Judd, and Rami are getting a little nostalgic. Now that you are at the game, are you in the Hormel Row of Fame? If you're in a lucky seat, you'll win a Hormel hot dog treat. Bum, 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 bum. Great for lunch, great for dinner. You will be a wiener winner in the Hormel Row of Fame. Mackie, Judd, and Rami, four to six weekdays on Score North and the Score North app. Quick thank you to DennisKirk.com for supporting Spore North and Purple Daily. It's obviously crazy times right now, but one thing you still can do is get out and ride, and the weather seems to be telling us it's time to get you and your motorcycle ready for this year's riding season. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sport bike, dirt bike, or any other type of motorcycle, they have what you need. Over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 orders ship free, and they pay return shipping on helmets and apparel products. DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North app, register, and you could be a winner over at scorenorth.com and also on that free Score North mobile app. Matthew Collar has an article about the three Gophers players that make sense for the Vikings in the draft, so go check that out, as well as Judd Zolgad keeping you up to date on the latest between Kevin Garnett and Glenn Taylor, including Kevin Garnett's comments today that were pretty nasty towards Glenn Taylor in a Q&A tour or with Shams on The Athletic. So that is all free over at scorenorth.com. Go check it out, and it's all free. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Matthew Collar and ESPN's Courtney Cronin here, and we welcome in a guy who is on one of the best football breakdown shows in history, NFL Matchup, also a writer and analyst for ESPN, a great Twitter account to follow, Matt Bowen. What's going on, Matt? I'm good, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing okay. I, I think you and I need to start by breaking down Aaron Schobel's play in Buffalo and how he was underrated because that's that's where I grew up, Matt, and you were on one of those good defenses that, uh, let's just say, didn't get as rewarded as they should have because of offensive play. No, we didn't have a high-powered offense. That's a long time ago. That's 2000. My, my last year in the league was 2006 with Coach Duran, but I love playing out in Buffalo. Um it was great. Um, my wife uh, taught at Niagara University when we were out there. Nice. So it was a great great experience for us. We loved the town. The fan base was awesome. 
just wish we would have won a couple more games. Yeah, uh, well, uh, really did. Getting into the playoffs would have been nice. Well, pass along a go Purple Eagles for your wife. Okay. Uh, and uh, well, I, we wanted to have Jan here. I mean, first of all, because you're about as good as it gets when it comes to breaking down film and, and, and analyzing teams and so forth, and, and just want to get your takes on some Vikings things, especially with okay. the first round. And I know that you did a mock where you had them taking T. Higgins, and we've been debating a lot about whether a wide receiver is the right play for the Vikings here. With the way that Gary Kubiak has his offensive system set up, a lot of running, a lot of throwing to tight ends, do you think it is of highest priority to go receiver or to look, uh, or should they consider looking elsewhere because they have no cornerbacks at the moment? Yeah, I think you have to look at corner as well. That has to be one of your top priorities. And in terms of your draft board, that needs to be towards the top of the draft board. But the reason I went with T. Higgins, I, I wrote a post at ESPN about, you know, this wide receiver class. It's real deep. It's loaded. There's talent, you know, really on day one, eight, and day two when you look at this wide receiver class. And I said, okay, what did they do at the wide receiver position now with Stefan Diggs moving on to Buffalo? And I, and I think like this, you don't have to replace Stefan Diggs in terms of his skill set or his traits or his total production. You have to replace him with someone who fits your scheme, someone who can win isolation routes outside, Someone can run the deep overs off of play action. We know we're a very heavy play action based team in terms of their passing game in Minnesota and how they create those vacated zones down the field. Someone that can make contested catches for Cousins. Someone that can make plays in the red zone for Cousins. That's why I went with Higgins. I think he has such a high floor at the position. Played at a championship program at Clemson. A ton of college production. Doesn't have great testing numbers. You know, he didn't run at, at the combine, but he, you know, he ran at his pro day. Did not have great testing numbers. But then uh, <clears throat> this is what I always say. It comes down to, okay, the testing numbers weren't great, but can you look at the film? you got to trust what you see. Mm-hmm. Trust your eyes when you're watching these prospects. When I watch T. Higgins, I think he'd be a solid pro football player. And another thing about him, he played all three wide receiver spots at Clemson. So he could play outside, you know, at the X and Z wide receiver, or he can bump inside to the slot try to create some matchups there. But that's just one name. I mean, if you stick with wide receiver, Denzel Mims could be there out of Baylor. Justin Jefferson could be there out of LSU. Michael Pittman out of USC. Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. So it really depends if they are going to go wide receiver. They'll have an opportunity to get a very talented player. Just comes down to how the board plays out and what they have in terms of their overall grades. Now, if they decide they want to wait on that, and if they go, let's say, cornerback, and then they find a tackle that they really like, an offensive tackle at 25, and they're able to address two somewhat immediate needs, definitely for cornerback, tackle, I guess mm-hmm. debatable at this point. But if they wait to day two, till day two, and then you have guys potentially like Michael Pittman Jr., Donovan Peoples-Jones, mm-hmm. Tyler Johnson, um, with as deep as this class is, where does it level off at any point when you've been evaluating these players on tape? Because I, I know that Johnson is a name that we're all familiar with because he went to the U and had a really good right. career there. But he seems like kind of a hard prospect to get, I don't know, a feel on just as far as how he would fit at the NFL level, but a good value for a day two pick if you were to go that way. I agree, Courtney. And with Johnson, you're looking at someone I think who fits more inside in the slot, becomes a matchup player. You can scheme open inside the numbers because he has the physical traits. He's got the ball skills, some of the best in the class in terms of making plays and contested catches, making plays in traffic, working in the middle of the field, physical after the catch. Now, it doesn't have elite traits in terms of 
explosive speed separation ability. I think that's one reason he'll slide a little bit in the draft. But again, go back to played in the Big Ten, played at the University of Minnesota, a ton of college production, made plays against high-level Big Ten teams, made plays in the bowl game against Auburn. So he's made plays against really good competition. Just depends on how he fits in your offense. And in terms of playing for the Vikings, I think he'd be a guy who's going to line up outside. But when you really want to give him the football, you want to scheme him open inside to cater to his ability. And that's what you need to get on day two. A guy like Van Jefferson out of the University of Florida. I don't think he has elite speed in terms of breakaway speed or game-breaking speed. One of the best route runners in the draft, though. So, again, you're looking at traits, I think, at that point. What traits fit your scheme? How do they fit into your offense? How can you get them targets in the passing game? And where do you use them in third downs and in the red zone? Matt, sticking with the uh, Gophers, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., If mm-hmm. <laughs> people love to send us their draft simulations, and we encourage them to do so uh, with a couple of websites where you could do it. I am telling you, every single one has Antoine Winfield Jr. going to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I know on Twitter you did some breakdown of him not too long ago. Uh, your thought, I mean, can he play multiple positions? Could he be a nickel corner? Do you see him as just a deep safety in the NFL? What's your takeaway from Antoine Winfield Jr.? I really like his film. I mean, he's a football player. That's the best way to say it. I mean, he really is a football player. A ton of on-the-ball production. We know he had, what, five, six, seven picks last season. Uh, good transition speed. What I mean by that is he can break downhill on the football. Uh, very aggressive in the run game. They use him as a blitzer at, at the University of Minnesota. As a good tackler in space. Does have the versatility. I don't think he's a true slot corner. I think he's a, a slot safety if you play uh, you know, your sub packages with three safeties in the field. He can roll down and play in that slot position where you match the receivers. Um, and really, if you're talking about a scheme fit, he's best in a quarters-based defense. Now, quarters means, you know, you're four deep. And I'll be honest, that's the base defense of Mike Zimmer. When you think of Mike Zimmer's defense, that's what it is right there. Mm-hmm. I think he's a tremendous player. And I think he is somewhere in that top of, you know, the second round, uh, and top second round, mid-second round, somewhere in that range is where he's probably going to come off the board. And some people might disagree. Someone might say he's a first-round pick. That's a great thing about this process. There's a lot of opinions in it. But that's the guy, if I'm a coach, that's the guy I want in the room. And I always say that about certain players. I, want to, I mean, that's someone you want to coach. You want to work with them because they have the traits, they have the physicality, they would fit in your system. And just what he shows on film. Now, I don't, I don't know Antoine Winfield off the field, what he's like in the weight room, what he's with, uh, how he acts with the position coaches. doesn't matter to me right now because I'm just looking at the film. When I look at the film, that's the guy I want my football team. Football. That's one hell of a breakdown there, sir. That was incredible. Um, <laughs> last year, the, the run on defensive linemen uh, and where we expected it to happen, I think all that kind of matched up. And as we look at the class, this year's class of edge rushers, it's not nearly as deep. I mean, there's probably maybe four going in the top 20. Um, but the Vikings have a need because they need to figure out, you know, is Afadio Denebo going to be able to take on that role, the void left by Everson Griffin? And it kind of feels like you'd look to a rotation at that position, or you know, who do you bring in? Where do you find the best value? If they have so many other positions of need, wide receiver, cornerback, ta- offensive tackle, where do you address defensive end if you're the Minnesota Vikings, Matt, just knowing what's out there and what's probably going to be out of your reach in the first round, and maybe that's something you address day two? Uh, it's either day two or the end of the first round. You know, if you think about the end of the first round, Courtney, what about A.J. Epinesa? Now, obviously, I'm an Iowa grad. Uh, I'm a little biased, and I play with A.J.'s father. Uh, he was my college teammate. Um, if I could play about A.J. Epinesa, I think that's where he's going to fall, Courtney, is that, you know, back end of the first round. 
um, has versatility, can play defensive end, defensive tackle. And, and trust me, what I'm being by this, he's a true defensive end, Courtney. You know, he's not a bendy electric pass rusher off the edge. He's a defensive end. They can play both the run and the pass, can give you production as a pass rusher off the, off the edge. He's excellent, excellent technique. I think pro-ready technique. And I can speak on his character. His family's unbelievable. He played for, <clears throat> for Coach Ferentz at the University of Iowa. And when you draft an Iowa player, you're getting a second-year pro in terms of their maturity. You know, again, obviously, I'm very biased when I talk about Coach Ferentz and Iowa Hawkeyes. It's understandable. But I know the program well. I played in the program. I know the family well. I think A.J. Epinesa is going to be a really good pro football player. And if you're talking about someone on the edge, you could do multiple things for you in defense that likes players with versatility in Minnesota. That could be an option. Talking with Matt Bowen of ESPN. Matt, I, I feel the same way about uh, Epinesa, or I'm just saying it because you said it, and I copy your opinions. But uh, <laughs> you know, there is a, there is a fascinating thing to me with how much we take the NFL Combine and pro days right. and so forth. Like, uh, did they play any new football games? Because when that guy played against the Gophers, he shredded them, and it's like uh, I'll just take that guy. I don't want to know what his Combine numbers are, and if he jumped far right. enough, and he did this, and he did that and i remember delvin cook's pro day was awful i think i can jump farther than delvin cook and he's the best running back in the league so how much do you value it when you're doing your analysis are you focusing entirely on tape or do you how do you kind of factor that in because a lot of times we see the guys who are great on tape and then drop they end up making everybody look bad well i think you have to look at the player we talked about t higgins earlier you know i think t higgins is a four or five guy you know he's pretty close to that time that's what he is nothing changes for me you know, A.J., you know, A.J. didn't have a great 40 time. But, again, what type of player is? You brought the Minnesota game. That's where you saw him lined up a defensive tackle and get home to the quarterback and do different things for you. Dalvin Cook's a great example. I remember the, the same things you're talking about with the testing numbers from Dalvin Cook. Then you turn on the film, you say, man, this guy really plays fast. I think it's the number one thing. Do they have game speed? Game speed. We're talking about Winfield. I don't remember what, what Winfield ran. I, I really don't. I have to look it up. Because when I watch him on film, he plays fast. That tells you, you know, it's really position-based, too. If you're talking about a safety, I don't care if you run a 4-6. I, I really don't care. Can you get to the football? Because there's so many things that go into playing at a, at a faster clip on the game field. Your football intelligence, your eyes at the safety position, your ability to plant and drive in the football, understand route combinations, be able to read the quarterback's shoulders. That all gives you a jump. So you can be a 4-6 guy and play as a low 4-5 guy. Because you are so smart, because you have that, those traits that carry over the field that make you a faster football player. And, and that happens every year, Matthew. It happens every year uh, with the combine. Is Someone runs a great time, and they get pushed up the board, and you're forgetting what your, what your job as a scout is at the end of the day is to evaluate the football player. The workout is a part of the process. I understand. We wouldn't have the combine if it wasn't part of the process. But I don't think grades should change much. Uh, based on 40 times and athletic testing because you have the film in front of you. And this year is a perfect example of that, Matthew, because all the pro days have been canceled and because you have some combine numbers. A lot of guys didn't run at the combine. Mm-hmm. Some of the top players didn't run at the combine. So what you're really doing right now is focusing solely on game film and obviously what you get from the strength coach, the head coach, the position coach at their, you know, at their respective programs. That, that weighs into as well. But at the end of the day, can you play? How do you fit in the scheme? And do you have traits that transition to the NFL level? 
And like you said, the combine's the last thing outside of like Jalen Hurts's pro day. I can't think of any other players who had um, you know big pro days that you know were televised like we typically would have seen throughout March and April. But nonetheless, this is the time of year where we start hearing kind of the behind the scenes talk of hey, this guy's rising, his draft stock is rising. But now, since there's no technical new information. You're just hearing it from teams and kind of how they are stacking their board. In your opinion, from the film that you've watched the last month or so as we've kind of gone through this new process of evaluating players, or at least it's what it feels like, is there anybody that really stands out to you as somebody who, even on limited um, limited information, let's call it that for right now, that has kind of risen his stock uh, to where you think he might be jumping a day or even around? I think one player could be Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU. Uh, and the reason I, I look at, at Gladney is because he's a man coverage corner. And I think right now the league is trending more towards man coverage. Uh, I think there's a need for mad, man coverage corners. One of the reasons for that is there's so much quick passing now in run pass options. And that's just finding holes in zone coverage. And you do it all all day long. I think you need man corners in the NFL right now. I think you need competitive man corners. You know, I said this about Winfield. Gladney's another guy from the secondary coach. I want him in the room because he has, he's ultra competitive. He's very aggressive in coverage. Can be a little grabby at times. That's okay. You live with that as a coach because that's what man corners are. I think he's got ball skills. I think he's a willing tackler and I think he'd fit in a lot of schemes. Jeff Gladney's a guy that, you know, some scouts would tell you he's a day two pick. I could see him sneaking into the back end of the first round. He really could. Because, again, the traits, can you cover in the secondary? That's a valuable skill to have right now, especially with the amount of passing we see all the time in the NFL, the amount of quick game. I mentioned run pass options, also play action as well. You want to be in man coverage in those situations. So to answer your question, Courtney, I would look at Jeff Gladney. Hey, Matt, uh, last thing for you. Uh, all the time we talk about you know, why guys make it, why they don't, and Courtney and I were kind of going back and forth and debating some of these general managers who were you know, complaining behind the scenes to the media about not having all the access and so forth. I- I'm curious from your experience, just all the players that you played with, tons of guys who would have been drafted high, some who made it, some who didn't. Was there a common thread to the guys that were successful and uh, those who weren't? And, and maybe how does that play into how random the draft can be? Well, I think there's a couple things there. Uh, number one is your professional approach to the game. And coming from the college level, uh, where a lot of things are taken care of for you to becoming a professional athlete, where you have to manage yourself, manage your body, manage your training, manage your game prep, uh, be able to play through injury. Uh, you can't miss time in the NFL. You just can't. I mean, the top players can, but a guy like me, who's a six-round pick, are you kidding me? You can't miss time. Um, now, obviously, some of that is luck, but a lot of it is being able to play through injury. The other thing is the scheme fit and the opportunity. Now, we see a lot of guys that bust in the NFL that are in the wrong system, mm-hmm. whether they're drafted based on their height, weight, and speed. Right? We see that all the time, especially top 15 players that bust. They're drafted on uh, height, weight, and speed and the traits. Do, you always hear, do they have top 15 traits? Well, because of that, sometimes guys are put into the wrong, wrong scheme. And scheme also deals with coaching and opportunity. How early do you play? Are you as a quarterback? Are you are you put on the field a little bit too early? Mm-hmm. We see that happen quite a bit now, where quarterbacks don't really sit anymore. They're kind of thrown right into the mix, and, and that can really hurt someone's development. Um, but that's why when I'm writing all the stuff at ESPN, one thing we always focus on is team fit over need. 
okay? And I think sometimes when general managers draft for need, um, they're not drafting the player that really fits their scheme or the highest-graded player on their board at that time when they're on the clock because that's so vital right now. You can talk about quarterbacks. You can talk about safeties. It doesn't matter. We talked about playing in the quarter scheme. There's some safeties that aren't fit for that, and you put them in that situation, they're not going to be productive for you. I always use this example. I wasn't very good, and I fooled people for seven years in the NFL that I could play. And when I was playing for Greg Williams in Washington, uh, he knew I couldn't cover anybody, unless it was like a backup long snapper that was playing tight end. <laughs> All right? So what did he do? He blitzed me almost every time. That's, what, that's one thing I was good at, okay? So Greg would put me in a position to cater to my strength specifically. Okay, not put me in a position where I had a cover slot receiver who could beat me all day long. Right, so that's coaching. That's understanding your players. That's catering your your scheme to your players. Or finding the right fit for your players within that scheme. And I think that really falls on coaching staffs um, in the National Football League of doing a better job sometimes when it comes to guys that bust of finding the right fit for them within your scheme. Because too often, yeah. <laughs> too often we have guys that are put in the wrong scheme, and you see what happens, and they just don't make it. Because of that, man. If you want that, we can send it to you. So you could just use it in everyday life. That can be your ringtone. Put right. Put it on your phone. So once once you're done talking, somebody does a football. That's right. Uh, Well, Matt, this is awesome. You're one of my favorite follows on Twitter at Matt Bowen forty one. Writes for ESPN. And if you can, I know I don't know how much pull you have, but can you get NFL matchup on a time where we can watch it in the uh, Central Time Zone? Well, I'll tell you this: we have two draft shows coming up, and obviously the format's going to change because we're going to film remotely. Yeah. This year, obviously. Uh, we're going to have two primetime shows uh, coming up the week before and the week of the draft. And we're going to break down the top prospects. Awesome. And we're going to talk quarterbacks. We're going to talk defensive backs. Isaiah Simmons and Clemson. A lot of wide receiver talk. A lot of corners that we just mentioned now, guys like Jeff Gladney. So we are going to have two primetime shows that are coming up later this month. Outstanding. We'll look forward to those, and uh, I'll just DVR, continue to DVR NFL matchup so I can wake up on a Sunday and watch it. Uh, always appreciate your work, Matt, and it was great to have you on. Thanks for coming on, buddy. All right, thank you. Yep, take care. Um, nobody more football than Matt Bowen, and it was everything I hoped it would be. I know. This was, You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, thank you, This Corey. was incredible. It was I've an, wanted it, him on for a really long time. He, he's he's the best. I mean, there's nobody better at breaking down film um, and explaining it, like, in layman's terms to, you know, to the average football fan, to somebody who covers it, to somebody who knows it really well, to somebody who doesn't know it. I mean, if you go and, like, Google, you know, go and Google something like, what is cover two? And I guarantee one of the first hits you're going to see on Google is well, he, something yeah. that Matt Bowen wrote. Yep, like, his he, breakdowns were awesome. He is... Yep. It just, I mean, it's an art, and um, he is an artist in that. <laughs> well, he's welcome anytime for us to hit football. Uh, now, it is interesting to me that he likes guys for the Vikings like Epinesa and yeah. T. Higgins that didn't necessarily put numbers down at the Combine, or in Higgins' case, at his pro day, that wow you. But I just, after the Delvin Cook thing, I can't get too caught up on that when they're a first-round talent of actually playing football. I could see in the second, third, fourth, and, and especially in the late rounds, where you might look at somebody's Combine performance and be like, 
bleep it. The guy ran real fast. Let's just take him and see if he can play a little football. Yeah. But when it comes to the top players, if you dominated in the Big Ten or if you sure. dominated in the SEC, I mean, it, it's very hard for me to say, oh, no, 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 no. This guy was, yeah, on a national championship stage, was averaging 20 yards of reception and beating man coverage consistently. But 4-5, I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and in the case of Epinesa, he had a horrible combine. We, we know that. That's no secret. We watched it live, and we anticipated that for some teams, they might put so much stock in that that that's going to cause his stock to fall and where his draft positioning to fall, which is why I remember in that draft, um, the mock draft that Mel Kuyper most recently did when he had the Vikings taking Mims and Epinesa, um, that's why he was available at the end of the first round. And just kind of echoing what Matt said there, that's probably where you could get another defensive end is somebody who's a day one player. I mean, and he has like... I don't want to call it country strong, but it's like that the power that power, he pl- yeah. power that he plays with is is so evident on film, and that's what you're going off of, right? But bring up he brought up that point too about Tyler Johnson. I mean, that's somebody who, like you mentioned, Big Ten dominated at a Power Five school. And, you know, the fact that he's kind of just this, like, a little bit relatively, like, a, a, it's hard to place him uh, in figuring out, like, well, where does he go? How does he transit truly transition to the NFL? And that's why he was saying, well, his best fit's probably in the slot. Um, and, I mean, he's great with contested catches. I mean, he's got all of the physical tools. But in a receiver class that is this deep, and like we've talked about, should you wait and pull back out of the first round to maybe either you know trade one of your picks to get more um, and go with a day two receiver? I feel like there's more guys like that that will eventually pan out, if not make contributions right away. And especially if you know what the tape provides and what you've seen with your own two eyes, that this player played at a high level at a at a school that was very competitive this year, like Minnesota was. Um, and that's going to that's gonna carry more weight, I think, than anything else. Right. I mean, if you're coming from a school that finished 10th in the country and beat Penn State and beat Auburn, and these were the guys who were stepping up, Winfield Jr. and Tyler Johnson, you've got to pay attention to that. And there's no guarantee that anybody is going to be a star. But if he's in the second or third round or, or beyond that, I think you would be negligent in not taking him because of the type of production that he put up. And the the bottom of the first round offers pretty much two types of players. Either it's the guys who are major athletic freaks who you're not sure about their production and they drop because of that. Or it's the guys who have great production, you're not sure about their pro day, and they drop because of that. And I would always want to take the guy who has the great production, and you go, oh, the pro day, the combine, and so forth. Well, those things just, they're not football. They're running around in shorts. And well, that's what people said about Laquan Treadwell, for example, right? Like, his pro day was terrible. He didn't run, a, and his 40 yeah, time yeah. was, I don't remember, it was yeah. awful. And they decide, I mean, sometimes it will bite you. I mean, that's just the nature of the probability game here. Sometimes it's not going to pan out and that stuff does serve as a red flag, but more times than not, if you've seen consistently the system that they're playing in, A, does that translate to the pros or is it just, you know, a byproduct of, you know, a really good college football player against somebody who's not a good college football player would never have even had a shot at the NFL. Like, which are you looking at right there? Because I think that at certain instances that could factor in as a deciding factor, but more times than not, it shouldn't. 
Yeah, and because of, I mean, the Treadwell thing is a good example. Because of how often it goes bust in the late 20s no matter what, I would still defend, uh, was he, what was he, was he 23rd? I, I would still defend that pick all day long and say, you know what, it was the right decision at that time and it didn't work out for you yeah. and he became a bust. But when you looked close at how he played, there are games against big-time teams where he's jumping over people and making plays, and I don't know how else you're supposed to grade it. The only thing you wonder is, how much did they grill him about route running? And, and uh, his route tree. And, right, because he didn't have one. And maybe, well, he, yeah, maybe he, that he was never the, heard of one, right. I don't think. Yeah, maybe yeah. that was the, the factor. But right, in year two at training camp when he said, I'm just learning to run routes, it's like I don't think this thing's going to turn itself around. So, <laughs> alright. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, I promise not to derail you from the list that you made Good, of I'm ready. five tragic mistakes that the Vikings should try to avoid in the draft. Courtney has her list when we come back uh, here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever. Like, you built a company, and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Need to get to the 46. Cousins. Pressure up the middle, comes near side, incomplete. He was looking for Treadwell, and they gave him a lot of cushion. And now the Vikings will punt. Jonathan, how dare you? That is future Super Bowl champion Laquan Treadwell with the Atlanta Yeah, what's Falcons. up with these Treadwell drops? I don't understand. Well, because... To start the show? Because now? the first segment was supposed to be your five mistakes that the Vikings should avoid in the draft. Oh, it, it didn't petty. ultimately become that because I went, took it another direction because... Uh, draft nihilism needs to be accepted by everyone. Now we will get to the five mistakes the Vikings should avoid in the draft. So I'm I'm going to just not make a mistake on my own and leave it to you. Go ahead. You've got a list. Do you, it's your choice even if you want NFL music behind it. Whatever you like, this is your five mistakes the Vikings should avoid. I would like some music. Okay. All right. Jonathan, pull that up for you. Thanks. Okay. So I went through, as we mentioned at the top of the show, but then Matt derailed everything, so thanks a lot. You're welcome. Um, History leading to my list and current circumstances leading to my list. Um, But number one, do not dawdle. And I looked up a synonym for dawdle. Dilly-dally is one of them, whether there's a a hyphen in between it or one word. Shilly-shally is actually a word, and it means, you know, to, you know... I don't know. What does it mean? Let me look really quick. Shilly shally, synonyms are hesitate, dawdle. How about drag vacillate, your feet? Waver, drag your feet. On time for no reason. When you know the pick, call it in. 
We know communication is not going to be what it typically is and having a million people in one draft room when everybody's really excited during the first round or even on day two when people aren't exhausted yet and then it becomes like a ghost town by round five. Um, But I think that when you know the pick, when it's in, go ahead and just get it done with. I think you don't want to leave this to chance and try to wait until, you know, the final minute. Like, it's just technology stresses me out to begin with. And when I think of all the things that could go wrong here in teams losing out on a draft pick because they didn't get it in on time because of connectivity issues, what have you, when you know, get it in right away. I've got plod, procrastinate, saunter, I like Shilly Shally. Shilly Shally is uh, excellent. So thesaurus.com, if any of you are bored during uh, your coronavirus quarantine. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing where teams will have to have, and I'm sure that they have worked and worked and worked to do this, but have the board ready and just be set to go when it comes along because you never know what can go wrong here. And that's going to be one of the most fascinating storylines of the NFL draft is which GM can't figure out which buttons to push to yes. join the Zoom conference call. Um, was it Jonathan yesterday? Did you say you had your money on Dave Gettleman or maybe Rami did? But like everyone's money is on Dave Gettleman for screwing this up for the New York Giants. But it's a good point that uh, they should run through this a couple of times and have it ready to go exactly um, all the situations that they might encounter. And I can't wait to see how trades go. Because oh my god! I don't. I no just feel like we're not going to Spielman. I know, and I feel like we're not going to see as many this year, just because of all of the logistical nightmares that that creates. And, and you know, I mean, even last year, I was looking something up about Drew Samia um, earlier this afternoon, and the picks that they traded to get him. And then there was another trade. I want to say either Cameron Smith or it might have been Armin Watts or something, where they traded the pick they just got, and then they or they. You know, it just got like right before, and then they traded it back. Or I don't know. It was they got one of their picks back last year, if I remember correctly. And it's like stuff like that's not going to happen this year. Yeah, um, it's too messy. Seven seventh rounders at least. Uh, there's, Make it happen. There's three right now, right? <laughs> no, thank you. Okay, number, number two. two. When you see a run starting, do not think that you can beat it. And I pulled a quote from Jamal Stevenson, the director of college scouting for the Vikings, from two years ago uh, when we were talking to him after the second round about Brian O'Neill. And the question was, did you feel a sense of urgency to pull the trigger on an offensive lineman with the big runs you saw on them earlier in the round? Quote, there was a big run, obviously. I've never seen that many offensive guards go this high in the draft. No, we just felt like with the value, he was up there on our board. We're never going to just draft a guy because of need. I understand that, but this is not a year where you're going to be able to have that same sort of communication. I mean, yes, there's going to be people connected via Microsoft Teams, whatever software these people have. um, But just in terms of the deliberation factor of can we wait this out? Can we try to get somebody else if we move back? Um, when you see the run going, learn from it and you know buy in right away. Because I just I, I will always go back to that from two years ago when we're all sitting there like, are you guys going to get a guard? Are you going to address the offensive line? And certainly O'Neal is a terrific player and you know can be a franchise tackle for them. Uh, and he's developing into somebody who is really really important. But you know. So you got to buy. Still- you have to buy into draft nihilism with this one because. Look at the guys who were drafted before Brian O'Neill. You wouldn't take any of them before Brian O'Neill. 
Austin Corbett, Will Hernandez, as much as we liked him, James Daniels, Connor Williams. Now, that's all right. Never trade up in draft nihilism because you should never panic and you should assume that the odds of the guy who's taken 62nd versus the guy who's taken 50th are basically the sure, same. Sure, sure. But I just think that when you see a run starting, just to think that you can outsmart it or beat it or get who you want later, I mean, you're you're, set, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, I just can... say don't worry about it. Don't worry about the run that's starting because your guy has the same odds as the other guy. Draft nihilism. Okay, number three <laughs> on the on the term of tra- on the uh, topic of trading back. Don't get into this idea of what we've seen the past few years of trading back to try to avoid getting into a bidding war for UDFA's and college free agents. Hmm. Um, those guys are going to take. That is a Spielman philosophy. Look at what's happened. They they don't want to get into a bidding war with teams. Why do you think they took Austin Cutting? in the seventh round with their final pick because they knew he was going to Denver and they didn't yep. want to have to outbid for him. Um, and because you covered process. the team. And obviously it's for me. <laughs> um, but, like, this is the this is the group of draft of, you know, players that are going to be part of this 2020 class that are going to take the biggest hit. So get your guys when they're available to you because I just think that's a nightmare because once that draft ends, when round seven is over – Everyone's going to work in the front office with your with every scout has a position group that they are responsible for in picking the college free agent class and they sign what ten of them and they've got about a hundred thousand dollar budget. You know, don't get into a bidding war for college free agents when you can, when they're available to you to draft when you have that many picks on day three. I think draft nihilism here would say it's not my money, so. Spend it on UDFAs if you want to. Seventh round odds versus UDFAs, probably exactly the same or maybe worse, weirdly. Right? Would you say? Probably. Seventh round versus UDFA, it's probably worse in a weird way. Because teams draft long snappers and kickers and stupid things like that. And then for whatever things. things. Yeah, I mean, Austin Cutting is a tremendous human being. (laughs) Thanks for your service. But, like, come on. Uh, so I, I'm sure that they could have found another long snapper in this world and didn't have to spend a pick, but it probably doesn't matter when it comes to that. It, so um, spend the Wolf's money and get all your UDFAs that you possibly can. I get what you're saying. I'm I'm just, uh, this is my new thing, is draft nihilism. Okay, um, that's uh, fine. But, you know, it will be fascinating, though. The UDFA market is, like everything else, incredibly random and ridiculous and players that they pay no money or just invite to camp like Adam Thielen or Chad Beebe make the team all the time. Players that are UDFAs that they pay a bunch of money um, sometimes get arrested or sometimes become nothing and can't run routes when they get onto a training camp field and then other times you know it, it, it's just you know one out of the entire class will end up working out. Um, so I don't know if there's any science to it, and I think it will probably be the same. But I would still expect the Vikings to throw a bunch of cash at the UDFA market. Well, well, that's kind of what I mean here. I mean, when if we don't have OTAs, if we don't have rookie minicamp, and this goes straight to training camp, that presents a huge challenge for the UDFA yeah. class in figuring out who we are going to bring in. I mean, usually... Those are the type of guys who are, you know, fifty-one or fifty-two or fifty-three on the roster. Yep. Um, they don't. They never have a great chance of making it. But you always want to give them the biggest chance that you can, the most opportunity that you can to do it. Because then you find an Adam Thielen, then you find a Chad Beebe, or you know, there's other examples of it too. I mean, there's you're missing that process here, and I think that you have to not act like you're going to get the same 
time with these guys and the same chance to evaluate yeah, them as yeah. NFL players. That's a really good so, point. So in that sense, don't get you know, don't don't stick by your same philosophy that you've. That the, and I mean, it's been a smart philosophy in the past, not having outbid for these guys. Uh, I mean, think about how much they paid for Holton Hill two years ago, and how much they guaranteed him. Uh, he's the highest UDFA, highest paid UDFA that year. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at with now, that. It's yep. a good point though, because rookie minicamp is usually an opportunity. Somebody ends up making the team off of a rookie yes. minicamp tryout every year, and now that's just not going to happen. No, so and, that, it, and it that's is a tougher the situation. Problem. So maybe you do end up using one of your seventh round picks on somebody that you think, well, maybe I can get him as a UDFA. Um, you know, I like this guy, but you are making a financial commitment, a stronger financial commitment to a seventh rounder than somebody that you would be bringing in as an undrafted free agent or a college tryout guy, but. Nonetheless, I think that you are in position to be a little bit more lax on that rule. Okay, this year. so you have two left, right? On yes. your list? Number four, have a contingency plan, i.e., magnets, for when technology <laughs> inevitably uh. fails. We know how much the Vikings spent, or at least we think we do, on that beautiful draft board that's inside their war room that stretches the entire wall. Uh, It's digital. I know that they're going to be able to have a smaller version of it on screens that everybody's going to be able to see in the movement and what have you. Something is going to happen to one of these teams, if not more. I know that one of the concerns, um, I think it was John Harbaugh said it today, that they're worried about the stuff getting hacked. Uh, because it's all going to be digital. I mean, that is a valid concern. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you know, just hackers are smart. I don't know how that stuff works, but, I mean, they've clearly done it. Um, I could get political on you, but I'm not going to. Um, they've hacked very important things before. Uh, so have a contingency plan because technology is going to fail you at some point. And, you know, for Spielman, since he's going to be by himself in the house, he'll obviously have a technology person there. I think that's the one, like, um loophole here that the general managers are allowed to have like an IT guy with them just to make sure this thing runs smoothly but somewhere you need to have those magnets out because if you need you, if you need to see your board in real time and it all of a sudden goes out um <laughs> You don't want to be SOL in, in that <laughs> circumstance. And I can just picture this. I don't, I'm don't. i not laughing at people's demise, but this is just so absurd, it's hard not to laugh. I think it's funny because these people take themselves so hilariously seriously with this stuff. And I know their jobs and careers are on the line, but it's just, you know, we saw the draft board and what it looks like when we took a tour of TCO Performance Center. And they have everything down to, you could pull up video of how the guy's hips look at the combine running the 20 yard shuttle. Like, really? Is this really a thing that helps you? And so, you know, I, I, it will be interesting to see if one team has some troubles. And I can't help but think if there is one squad that will be hacking away, it's going to be the New England Patriots and somehow they're getting Tua. I'm calling it right now that somehow they hack draft boards and people miss draft picks and they get up and they draft Tua and we all go, what? How did that happen? And then there's just a wry smile from Bill Belichick inside of his home with his, quote, IT guy slash super hacker. Yeah. It's going to happen. uh, I I don't look forward to the teams that end up getting, you know, in a, in a, putting themselves in a pickle because of the technology issues. That's going to be, I mean, how how are TV networks even? I mean, for them too, they've got to figure out 
how they can do all of this technology stuff to make sure that the broadcast goes off without a hitch. But I think we also need to plan that it's not going to go off without a hitch. Something is going to happen. Isn't there a part of you, though, that's rooting for it? Like, a calamity here would be kind of funny. I mean, just... Um, I don't want people to lose their jobs over something like that or get in trouble. Um, I mean... At this point, I don't have any expectations for anything at the moment in life in general. So, I mean, I anticipate something happening to what degree I do not know. Um, But this could could be a real big dumpster fire very quickly (laughs) if, if one thing goes wrong. And you know that there are people who are rooting for it to happen and people who are, like, going to actively try to, you know, screw it up. And that's... I don't. I'm not look forward to that at all. I just. I hope that they can come up with enough of a secure function with their systems and all that to make sure that nobody can hack into it. What I wouldn't mind seeing some dumb fans going to end up doing that. Yeah, and then probably. It's like, I, just, I mean, they'd have to be pretty smart. They wouldn't be dumb. They'd be jerks. What um, I'd love to see though is somebody's dog come into the room and start barking while they're oh, on sure. TV. Oh, sure. Like things, I'd love things that. like that. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. That's not disastrous. That's or, funny. You know, somebody's internet to go down because there's a windstorm or something. Like, the, <laughs> oh, the Ravens are in trouble. It's too windy in Baltimore, and John Harbaugh can't draft. Uh, so, you know, anyway, uh, what is number five? On number yours? five pertains specifically to the Minnesota Vikings, and it really could for other teams, but just given how many draft picks they have, how many spots they need to fill immediately. Um, because all signs are pointing to them filling holes at cornerback, offensive tackle, wide receiver, uh, defensive end, interior in the defensive line. That's five positions right in the, there. Those are all going to be done via the draft. And if you still are in win-now mode, do not have a knee-jerk reaction to all of that. I know that's easier said than done. But the second you do that and get nervous and make nervous decisions, you're drafting, you're overdrafting, um, you're, you're missing out on picks, you're making silly decisions that you, you will eventually regret. Um, and for someone like Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, both of whom, to our knowledge right now, do not have contract extensions, their backs are against the wall in this draft. This draft could be their jobs. Yeah. And it could be, you know, the end of their time in Minnesota if it doesn't go right, if they don't get... You know, they need to hit on their picks. And, yeah, we say that every year, but it is no more pertinent this year than it's ever been. I mean, I, I, I look at this draft class, and I look at all the needs that they have and they didn't address, weren't able to address in free agency. Right now, they are in a very tough spot, and I think that just amps up the pressure and amps up, you know, the importance of hitting on these picks. But you can't you – can't, you got to stay the course somehow. And I know that kind of, in a way, contradicts a little bit of what I said with number two. When you see a run starting, don't think you can beat it or outrun it. Um, I think it all plays into here, like, not making nervous decisions based on thinking, I guess, a little bit too far ahead. Uh, you know, the, the NFL is very much a win today, worry about the rest later league. And uh, I, we've seen teams draft with the opposite approach like the Vikings did two years ago well I mean last year they did with, yeah. with Garrett, I mean last year too I was just I just keep thinking back to 2018 for uh, a number of reasons I still think that Garrett Bradbury could be a good player in the NFL but if we go back and look at last year to your point about stay the course and draft who you think is going to become the best player not who can just plug a hole of course you want to get 
needs that you have. You don't have any corners, but you're going to need those for 2021. It's the second or third most valuable position on the football field. Same with tackle. If we go back to last year, they were desperate to get someone who would fit in Kubiak's system, who was a good zone run blocker and so forth. And then after him, Noah Fant gets taken, which of course they take Irv Smith later, but you could have taken Noah Fant at that point. You could have taken Andre Dillard at that point, and yeah. uh, I still think he has a good chance to become a good tackle. Uh, Marquise Brown, a wide receiver, if you knew that there were issues when it came to uh, Stephon Diggs, that's a guy that you certainly could have moved on from. You didn't plan for Everson Griffin leaving with Montez Sweat, who was the 26th overall draft pick. And DeAndre Baker, the outside corner for the New York Giants, he goes 30th. I mean, my, my point is just that if you had looked toward this year, and even um, remember Jawan Taylor dropped, and he's he turned out to be yeah. a decent tackle in his first year for Jacksonville. And he, and he dropped because there were some um, health concerns. I yes. think he bought his yeah. knee. And yep. I don't remember that being an issue for him in Jacksonville. No, he played very well. And it might get him down the road. I don't know. But... There were all these other players that we knew about. This isn't just second guess. Oh, why didn't you take this guy? He became great. None of these guys have become superstars yet. But if you're just judging the process in hindsight, their process was, let's get a guy to fill a position right now. But they drafted possibly the least valuable position on the football field with the 18th overall pick and passed up on a dynamic tight end, a starting left tackle or two, uh, and a wide receiver and a defensive end who can all play. And I, I don't know, DeAndre Baker did not have a good first year, but might develop into a good player. And and I, I would advise draft for 2021. And if it works out in 2020, that's great. Um, but you shouldn't count on it. You should count on what's going to happen in the future. I think we all believe that players like Fant and Dillard and uh, Brown and Sweat can all be very good in the NFL. Sweat had seven sacks last year. For Washington, they got no attention for their defense, but they had some good talent there. If they draft him last year, maybe we all go, oh, you should have drafted an offensive lineman. What's wrong with you? But then now, a year later, we'd be looking at it and going, oh, well, good. You've got the answer to Everson Griffin being gone and one thing is filled. And with Bradbury, he didn't give you any better play at center last year than if you had signed a guy off the bottom of the barrel. I think he'll be good in the future, but that's just a position that you can often fill with a free agent to get average or slightly below average play out of, and to draft him at 18, in hindsight, looks like a pretty big overdraft. So yeah, don't do that again. I mean, that, but they were in no other position, and I'm just going to defend that with they needed, at least in their opinion, they needed to address the offensive line. I mean, you heard, remember what Rick Spielman said, that if he would have drafted another first-round corner, he couldn't go home? Yes, yeah. Like, yep. you know, I know that that was a joke, but they had to do something. At least the perception that they were trying to fix it because they weren't active in free agency outside of getting Josh Klein um, in being able to fix it. So I get the reasoning behind it. But like we've talked about, when you're picking a guard, an offensive lineman at that spot, if they're not in the top 10, you really shouldn't be in the position to be like, all right, well, we need to address this right now. That player is going to be a plug-and-play starter and be able to succeed right away. Right, and I'm trying to figure out, looking back, like who were some of the centers last year. Mitch Moore signed a huge contract and was great for Buffalo, but they could not have afforded to pay a center $44 million. Um, So maybe there were other ones on, on the free agent board that you spend a little bit of money to plug that hole quickly and then... You know, you address center later in the draft. But the thing about last year even is that 
in the draft, other centers who were taken farther down the board performed just as well or better, actually better than Garrett Bradbury, like Elton Jenkins, who I believe played guard, and maybe Eric McCoy did too. But those guys were kind of graded by most people as being really similar. And to you know take a center where they did, you would almost rather have traded down, which is another one of my yeah. things, like do it all the time. Trade down all the time because of your odds and who's likely there on the board. If you traded down from 18 and ended up taking someone like Sweat, or Brown, or uh, you know Noah Fant, depending on how far you traded down, like you probably get more draft assets and a player who's at a more valuable position. I guess that's my point. I'm not saying that Garrett Bradbury is going to turn out to be a bust. It's just that if you're managing this draft board through what your philosophy should be, trading down usually makes a heck of a lot of sense. No, it does, and that's why I think they're in prime position to trade down from one of those picks that they have in the first round. I mean, they've got two, 22 and 25. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was doing my draft sim yesterday, and obviously it's not an exact science and it doesn't always work out the way it would in reality, but um, I traded that 22nd pick to Dallas, and the players that went off the board between 22 and 25, none of them I wanted anyways. So, I mean, sometimes that works out where you get – it's not like somebody fleeces you and takes a player that you want and gives you um, – you know, you look at your haul and you're like, what do I really get? I felt like I got a good haul for that and I got exactly who I wanted at 25. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to trade out of the first, to trade back and, and acquire, you know, another second or third round pick. I would just say stay away from the mid day three trades because you know how exhausting that is for teams to begin with. You just um, don't want it as a reporter. Stop trading. No, I mean, I mean, we already have. We already have a long day lined up for <laughs> lined up for that third Who's gonna day. Who's going to bring us Jimmy is. John's now? Are they going to send it to our houses? Probably. Yeah, probably. Probably not. You can put that on Rick's tab. Yeah, well, certain people will order two sandwiches, but that's an inside <laughs> joke. So let's uh, take a break, and we'll come back and talk to uh, Jenna Lane. She covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers about Tom Brady playing for the Bucks and their sick new threads. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download powered by Pod MN. You can join Score North as we partner with the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Luis Arise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Luis Arise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com keyword donate. PodMN is the number one source for local and on-demand Minnesota audio. Discover hundreds of unique podcasts produced right here at home in Minnesota. Download the PodMN app on Apple or the Google Play stores. That's been your Scornorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. 
Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, and we welcome in from NFL Nation with ESPN. She covers the Tampa Bay Bucks, Jenna Lane. Now, Jenna, I know uh, reporters, of course, will not ever be buying team gear, but we certainly can analyze it. And the previous Tampa Bay Buccaneers jerseys looked like something from a futuristic football movie, and now they're back to being a real football team for Tom Brady. That's my take. Do you agree? Yes, but at the same time, they have added a little bit of a modern twist on those classic red jerseys that people really came to love. I know some fans want to see the creamsicles return, uh, but I have to say, as someone that had to live through the creamsicle era, (laughs) they do bring back mixed feelings because I remember a lot of really bad football that was played in those too, whereas the red jerseys that they have, and and that was, of course, when they changed the color scheme and they went with the bright red and and they they brought in pewter as well and, and they moved into a new stadium. They had new ownership, new logo. Uh, for the most part, there were a couple down years then, but for the most part, it was a good winning brand of football. So uh, I, I definitely like the the, uh, the newer jerseys. And I like the fact that they, they updated them a little bit. Um, it's, it's a twist on a classic, but instead of having like the sheen that you remember from those old Reebok jerseys, mm-hmm. instead it's more of a matte finish with the jerseys and the pants, and I like that. Now, I was going to ask you about why Tom Brady needs seven bedrooms and nine bathrooms in that massive (laughs) mansion that he rented, which apparently belongs to Derek Jeter, but uh, this is not TMZ, so I will not go that route with you, Jenna. But I am curious with the jerseys. um, Was this something that happened because Brady signed there, or was this already slated to happen? Because it certainly makes sense you're ushering in a new era an era where you expect to be a competitive team and you change the entire landscape of the nfc and really the whole nfl with one acquisition but was this going to happen either way or is this simply a brady impact yeah that's a great question courtney this actually happened and was in the works before brady signed with the team we heard rumblings about it last year and the organization knew um, because they had gotten these new jerseys. They, they had the old ones for 17 years, uh, and then they got the ones that came to be known as the alarm clock jerseys in 2014, and they could tell right away that it just something clock. something about it fans just did not like. And so uh, because of that, they um, – you know, they knew that they would have to change it. But because of league rules, you got to wait five years to do that. So they had some plans in the works. Uh, they were planning on this. So it, there have been some rumblings for some time, but they were able to finally do it um, this year. And that's, of course, how you're seeing these. But it is great timing, you know, because uh, the Bucks just really haven't uh, played a winning brand of football in recent years with the exception of one winning season in 2016 when they went nine and seven other than that they just have really 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 struggled so between a new quarterback and a head coach that's in his second year they're really hoping for big things well i'm glad they made the change because my first gig ever that i got paid for in sports was a third rate indoor football league that was played in a small convention center they had better jerseys they had better jerseys than the previous box ones in my in my opinion uh yeah and oh oh, no was right Oh, no, was definitely the right. The clock numbers were a little bit of a challenge. Like, for me, though, I judge uniforms not just based on aesthetics, but it's the same thing with stadiums. It's the logistics. And if I have a difficult time discerning between 26 and 28 and oh, 29 sure. yes. because of, uh-huh. of the font on the jerseys, it's not so much of an issue during the regular season, but when you have 90 men 
on a training camp roster, if those rosters are maxed out, it can be a little bit of a challenge, especially when when they're practicing really far away from where you're standing. So uh, that that made things challenging. But I do like the fact that they kept um, the uh, the helmets that they had with the oversized logo. The only difference is, is instead of having a chrome faceplate, they have a, a black uh, face mask instead. Okay, that's yeah. I'm glad that they kept with the logo because the logo looks very good. And quick aside, that indoor football league, you couldn't punt because the roof was too low in the convention center. I'm not kidding. Oh, that sounds no. like yeah. the Vikings, oh, uh, yeah. the old place. And my color analyst was drinking at halftime. It was an experience that everyone should have. Oh, wow. Uh, so, anyway, back to the Tampa Bay Bucks. So, Tom Brady's quarterback, how's that going to work out? You know, it's going to be interesting because Brady has really longed for a relationship with his head coach. You know, he, he really values having personal relationships with people. And, and he could do a little bit of that with Bill Belichick, but only to a certain extent. Whereas Bruce Arians jokes that he thinks that he, part of the reason he got fired in Pittsburgh was he had too close of a relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. So, you know, and, and Arians is the type of coach, he'll greet you with a big hug. He says, hey, babe, he, he really likes having that, you know, just that intimate relationship with his quarterback. So they also, um, you know, they're going to be collaborating as well. You know, Arians has his offense, but he is certainly open to doing some new things to help Tom, you know, calling plays that Tom is, is more comfortable with. I was talking to Teddy Bruschi about this, and he really thinks that Brady can help them with the screen game because we know that Arians is all about no risk it, no biscuit, taking those shots down the field. But on the same token, he also has a few other rules, and one of them is a rule that uh, longtime assistant Tom Moore has, and that is you can't go broke by putting more money in the bank. And and Blaine Gabbert was actually the quarterback who told me that, but uh, it's it's pretty simple. It's not just about you know chucking the ball deep downfield; it's also about getting these short completions. You know, it's about making decisive decisions and knowing where you're going to go with the ball and getting it out quickly and being able to move the chains. And they think that Brady could really do that with their team. Uh, whereas that was an area that Jameis Winston struggled in. Now you mentioned that collaboration between Arians and Brady, and that certainly was not something that we ever talked about in detail, maybe even at length, or even something that happened in New England. It was Bill Belichick's team. He was calling plays. He was doing the you know the GM work. He was the head coach. He's everything. And I mean, I wonder from your perspective. And I know that you guys talked to Tom Brady over the Zoom call. I believe it was a few weeks ago when the signing became official. How much of that? do you think factored into his decision being able to kind of build something in this later stage of his career where he gets to kind of decide what the offense is around him and not to say that that didn't happen in New England but simply the fact that this is going to be you know his input and really the whole decision about you know not just saying personnel things like that but making it his own and being able to do that with somebody who's receptive of that. Yeah, I think that that's really what it's about for him. The fact that he can really kind of take control of the direction that he wants to go in, that he can take charge in the later phase of his career, as you're seeing, um, you know, that he can kind of call the shots a little bit. It's not like he's taken over their playbook or anything, but he is going to have a lot of input. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, I was talking to another former quarterback of Bruce Arians, Drew Stanton, and he said, you know, um, I mean, Arians will literally ask his quarterback, all right, what are the first down plays that you like? 
okay, what about the third down plays? Like, he asks them, and, and literally, they only call the ones that they like. He goes through and he has them pick all of this as they're getting ready for the game. You know, and I asked um, Stanton, I said, you know, how common is that for coaches to do that? He said it's not very common. So I think it's that. Also, the fact that, you know, he's got some really good weapons around him that'll kind of help revive him and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And the thing that's different about those two, I've been a lot around a lot of, of NFL wide receivers. I haven't been around two that have those types of personalities. Yes, they want the ball, but at the same time, those are two guys that aren't, you know, in your ear, you know, every other place saying, give me the ball, give me the ball, I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. They're not like that. You know, those two guys, um, yes, they're, they're competitors, but they're each other's biggest fans. You know, they're truly uh, selfless players. They're more concerned with how the team is going. Now, I can also tell you if Mike Evans doesn't get open in a game and only has two catches, you know, he's going to beat himself up about it because he knows the expectations. But he's just not one of those guys that's going to be in a quarterback year like that. So I think the opportunity to play with two 1,100-yard receivers, which he hasn't had since he played with Randy Moss, that was really appealing to him as well. And just a kind of a different energy. You know, anybody that's had a conversation with Arians knows he is like the complete opposite of Bill Belichick when it comes to his energy. Uh, he is really just a delight to watch at the podium. He's unfiltered. Not quite as unfiltered as he was in Arizona, but he'll tell you what's on his mind, and I think that that makes things a lot of fun for the people around him. Um, but one thing I'll also say is this. Even though Arians can be funny sometimes, he can crack a joke, it's all business, too, very much. They're having fun, but at the same time, they are working very hard, too. Talking with ESPN NFL Nation Bucks reporter Jenna Lane. Uh, Jenna, the defense of the Bucks is fascinating because when you look at yards per play allowed or any of the efficiency stats, pretty darn good last year. But Jameis's 30 interceptions really hurt them in terms of the amount of points they gave up. When you go top to bottom in terms of talent, it looks like it should be a really good defense. Is there more to do here, uh, or, or can they take a step simply by Tom Brady not constantly throwing it to the other team? You know, when you're starting uh, a possession, when you're starting as a defense at near the 40-yard line because of, of these interceptions with Winston, it makes things really, really difficult. You're suddenly having to defend a little over half a field. Uh, it's not fair to put a defense in a position like that. And, and one of the things that was really perplexing this year with Jameis was the fact that he threw a lot of picks on opening drives sometimes even on the first throw, when normally those are supposed to be high completion percentage throws. They're supposed to get them into rhythm. Uh, you're not taking a ton of risks there, but for whatever reason, Winston just had a lot of, of trouble with those. It put the defense into a bad spot. It didn't really allow them to get out onto the field and focus on their game plan because suddenly they're thrown off and they're thrust out there and they've got to you know, suddenly regroup and, and if anything, just try to minimize the damage. Maybe they hold into a field goal. But when you do that and you're playing from behind, it, it, it takes you out of your defensive game plan. And so I think just having a quarterback that's not turning the ball over like that will help them. Uh, of course, they also want to be balanced. They know they've got to improve their run game. That is going to be an area of focus. Uh, and they also know, too, that they've got to work on, uh, you know, kind of getting the ball to some of these running backs in the in the short passing game. That's another area they want to focus on, too. But, you know, they're growing in Todd Bowles' defense. It was huge for them to bring back Shaq Barrett, which I still, 
it blows my mind the way he acts. You know, we had 19 and a half sacks last year, but if you go up to him and talk to him, it's like somebody forgot to tell him he led the league in sacks last year because he just he just doesn't act like it. He's very humble. He's hardworking. Uh, he still fights like the guy that we saw in that fourth preseason game, just fighting for a roster spot, and you love that about him. And then Jason Pierre-Paul, unbelievable for him to come back this past year from a fractured neck to have eight and a half sacks and, and half a season uh, that was really tremendous to watch. They're really excited about having Indomitian Sue back. He may not have shown up on the stat sheet, but the number of times that he took on double teams really allowed the other guys to feast. Um, they're excited as well about Devin White. You didn't really see all that he could do last year because he started the season off with severe tonsillitis. Uh, and then he uh, had a knee injury that hampered him for much of the season. But towards the end, you saw what he could do. And they've also got some young guys in their secondary, which they're excited about. Uh, I think that could be a weak spot still for them because I think they might need uh, a, a more of a, a veteran presence on that back end. Uh, but they're not necessarily done making roster additions. So uh, we'll just have to see what happens there. On that note, what more do they need to do on defense? Because their off-season goal was trying to keep that unit together. Like all the guys that you just mentioned, the front seven essentially stays intact. They have the number one ranked run defense in 2019. Um, and we're just kind of now starting to see, like what you were mentioning with Devin White, um, the ceiling of where he could go. What's next for that defense? Do they have anything in specific, in your opinion, that they're going to address pretty early on in the draft? Or is that going to go all offense? I think early on in the draft, I would look towards offensive tackle because you got to protect Tom Brady, and they still don't have a true bona fide replacement at right tackle. Plus, I think they need to groom somebody who could possibly take over for Donovan Smith at the left tackle position if they decide he's not the answer. They're they're kind of waiting to see on that, but they need they need someone at that right tackle spot, and there's a lot of guys that are uh, you know potential draft picks there at that 14th overall spot. I also think running back, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think that that's an area they need to focus on because you know how much Tom Brady loves to uh, loves to utilize the running backs in the passing game. But then as far as the defense goes, I especially with what's happened with Justin Evans, you know, he just could not get healthy last year. He has just been hampered by foot, uh, toe injuries. He's a guy that when he's healthy – and he intercepted Tom Brady in his first ever NFL start. I mean, this guy has enormous potential, but uh, and he certainly plays that. He can truly be that that single high, that free safety. You know, plays it like an outfielder. But they don't know if he's going to be healthy. So I'm not. I can't say for certain that he is going to be back. So I think they need to think about possibly replacing him. So I think that that safety is an area that they could look towards. Um, and I also think if you get an opportunity to get your hands on a good cornerback, uh, that you take that opportunity because I still think they need depth there. That's a position that, you know, you see year after year after year, you see those, those, especially soft tissue injuries, you know, hamstring injuries. You see that happen so much. And when it's a vertical passing league and you have guys like Drew Brees in your division, Teddy Bridgewater in your division, Matt Ryan in your division, you need all the help you can get on the back end. Uh, Jenna, before we let you go, everyone in the world is quarantined. What have you been watching? How have you been spending your quarantine? I was uh, going back and watching old Hard Knocks <laughs> from 2013. How about you? Oh, gosh. You know, I've really been all over the place, to be honest. I mean, I've watched everything from, uh, you know, conspiracy theories shows on Netflix to old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, which is free with an Amazon Prime membership. I recently started, um, I watched Tiger King recently, 
And I also, and, and I have to say, I'm not one of those people. I don't like football movies or football TV shows. But I was surprised. I, I really like that TV show, All American. I watched the both seasons of it and actually started over again. Maybe it's because Tay Diggs is on it. I'm not sure. But I hadn't even heard of it up until this point. Didn't even know that it was based on uh, Spencer Pacinger, his life story, which I thought was really, really, really cool. But uh, I like it less for the football aspect of it and more for the types of things that you see as far as family. Uh, and it's, it's based on high schoolers. So, But just navigating family and relationships and the fact that, you know, your environment that you grow up in, you know, impacts so much of the way you are. And mm-hmm. um, it's just a really good show, I have to say. I really like it. That's why, I, again, I've watched it both seasons and, you know, I'm circling back and starting to watch it again. So, but I'm all up for suggestions. And oh, wait, really have you not seen? Tiger King is going to have another one. Jenna, have you not seen Friday Night Lights? I saw the movie, but I never watched the TV. Oh, show. you got oh, Jenna. Gotta do that's it. like a you cardinal sin. I know it. that you don't like football shows, but that is like that's a requirement. If to you don't cover take it NFL. too seriously, if you don't take Tim Riggins's age too seriously, then it's it's <laughs> it's a fun show. There's a few things that I've missed. I still haven't. I've still never seen The Notebook, but I don't plan on it. Friday Night Lights, I can do. I refuse to ever watch The Notebook. You know, I just there's just I I'm putting my foot down. You know, you got to put your foot down on some things, and I just refuse to watch The Notebook. I'm not going to subject myself to that kind of torture. It's not very good. Don't worry about it. But Friday Night Lights, Jenna, is a cardinal sin that you have not seen that. And Matthew is wrong. It is not a fun show. It is an emotional what journey that goes through several seasons that pulls at your heartstrings and just leaves you in oh. a pile of tears it at does? the end. Yes. Oh. That show is you about know, growing like up. At one point. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. Like I definitely, I mean, I haven't seen that one yet, but that would be on my list, too. I'll, I'll give you one more. Is on Netflix, uh, Cheer. It's like a mini documentary series. Maybe it's oh, only like six I've definitely episodes. definitely seen that. Oh, it's so good. I've watched that twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a college cheerleader. I've seen that twice. Okay. And I actually know people in it, too. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That was so good. And I think all of us should try to be more like Jerry on that show. In, I, in oh, lives. my God. I totally agree. And you know what I was happy about that show is that it went beyond the whole, yeah, yeah, cheerleaders want to be taken seriously. We want to be taken as athletes. What, what I really liked about that, I'm glad you mentioned it, because it seems so long ago since I watched it. I watched it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. What I like so much about it is that I think when you're a cheerleader, especially when you're out there and you've got this bow in your hair and, like, you're, you know, you're all, you know, you you have this, there's a certain image of you, but what people don't realize, and I'm glad this show showed it, and I give the characters so much credit for being honest and being so vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable, um, is that people see, hey, they're just like everybody. Like, just because you see somebody out on the field, whether it's playing football or with pom-poms in their hands, nobody has a perfect life. And, in fact, some people come from some really uh, tough beginnings, and you see uh, what several of these characters have had to kind of go through to get where they are. And you realize, wow, you know, cheerleading is one of these things that that's keeping them together. It's this glue Mm -hmm. that's kind of keeping them together as people Um, much in the same way that I think other sports do. I just don't think people have the same idea about cheerleaders. They think again, every cheerleader comes, you know, from upper middle class or upper class or a certain way, or they all have perfect lives. They have two parents at home that love them, all these things. And that's just not the case. It reminds me a lot of my, former teammates that I've had throughout the years that have, you know, maybe not had, you know, some of the same 
resources as everybody else, you know, but, but cheerleading was kind of their ticket, their, their way out of difficult circumstances. So yeah, I really liked, I really liked that show. And again, I really applaud some of those characters. They're young people uh, for being so honest about, you know, their journeys and where they've been. There's also so much in common with football in that show, like the toughness element, the toughness of the coach, how she's really hard on the, the athletes, but also they, they love her and she cares for them and sets standards for them and everything else. And I think that uh, you, it's totally not what you would expect when you started to when you get to the end. You're like, wow, uh, that, that's truly incredible. So I'm glad that we're on the same page with that, but you've already seen my suggestion, so I've got nothing else for you. Um, Jenna, Self-made is really good, too. Self-made? Octavia Spencer is really, really good in that. Yes. Okay, I've never heard of it. It's about the first, uh, it's the first African-American self-made millionaire. And I think she was also the first female millionaire. And Octavia Spencer is just unbelievable. She was really, really good in that. So, yeah, it's it's a good series, self-made. And everybody keeps telling me that Ozark is another one that I absolutely have. I tried. I couldn't get into it. I bailed. I, I had to bail like halfway through the second season. It just sort of jumped the shark for I me. I bailed halfway through the first episode of the first season. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Maybe I'll jump back in at some point because I think we're going to have some time to uh, watch whatever we want. Well, Jenna, awesome stuff. I'm really glad you were able to come on and, and talk jerseys and Tom Brady. And hopefully we can do it again when we have football, I hope. So we'll do it again. Yeah. Well, I mean, we might be getting baseball sometime soon, so I guess we'll just have to see. But yeah, definitely good catching up with you guys. And I'll have to, I'll get back to you on some of these Netflix suggestions. I'm going to try my hand at Ozark. We'll see how long I last. (laughs) I wasn't into Game of Thrones right away either. I had to, I had to give it some time. I had to be patient. I had to trust the process. Yes, and it worked out. Trust the process for sure. Well, follow her on Twitter (laughs) at Jenna Lane ESPN. And uh, thanks for coming on, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I bailed on Ozark, Courtney, because, I mean, I could see why you... The first episode is, like, really violent, I think, um, and maybe kind of crazy. But graphic. That's gra- a good way Graphic to put is it, a yeah. good way to put it. That doesn't bother me. It was really just that it got so preposterous in terms of reality that, like, all these people... It's <laughs> Tiger King. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was maybe, real. I mean, that's a good counterpoint because we've seen so many crazy things. But I, I just got to a point where so many people were being killed and no one was ever being held responsible. I'm just like, <laughs> all right. Okay. I hate it when that happens. All right. If, that, if, you're, if your plot twists are always people just being killed, it doesn't really do it for me. And Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are the same basic plot and they're better. So that's just my thought. But anyway, she's got to, she has to see Friday Night Lights. I'm I'm surprised at our different viewpoints of Friday Night Lights. I look at it as not exactly the lightest show, but it, but preposterous in a way that you suspend reality because it's classic and fun, but it's not a real true depiction of a high no. school football team. No, I actually I made myself watch it when I got hired in Mississippi. I had about three weeks a month from my internship ending in Indianapolis so I had some time to kill and I was like, you know, I'm going to be covering high school sports. This is my first real job. I'm going to watch this and maybe I'll get a taste of what Friday Night Lights are like in the Deep South. Um, Obviously that show takes place in Texas, but it, there were some realistic similarities uh, in terms of the personalities and just the overall dichotomy of high school football in the South and what it means. And I loved it. It was educational for me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. The movie I was would love much to more re- realistic. Oh, the movie's fantastic. Yeah. That that should be on everybody's list during the quarantine to go rewatch both. 
if you have time. All right, let's do it again Thursday. I've got a list that I made today that we can go over then. And I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna derail it just to pay you back for derailing the first segment, so I couldn't get my list off. I deserve that. All right, we'll do it then, and maybe we'll draft him if you're lucky, Courtney. All right, we'll uh, talk to them, Mackie and Judd, with Rami coming up next. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.